All right, turn with me, if you would, to Acts chapter 18. Paul is currently on his second missionary journey. He's going to be wrapping that up in this chapter. And you'll recall last week he uh, ended up in Athens, in Greece. It didn't appear to be his plan in the first place, but due to uh, volatile circumstances, which would so often happen, he, he had to go. So he went on down to Athens and he preached the sermon about the unknown God to the Athenians there at Mars Hill. And we talked about that last week. It's a beautiful sermon. Paul made known to them this, this God. They had a shrine set up to the unknown God. They were, they were uh, so religious with all their pagan gods and deities, they didn't want to miss one. So they had the one set up for the God that they may have missed. And Paul uh, educated them on this God. This is the one God, the one true God, and it is He who Paul declared to them. And then uh, from there, we pick up today, Paul's going to move over into Corinth. And uh, we'll get into that as we go. But let's just go before the Lord with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we love You. We love Your Word. And we love how You uh, meet with us, God, as we seek Your face. You teach us. You speak to our hearts. May this be a time where we feed on You, O Lord Jesus, as we come before You, as we gather with Your people, as we humble ourselves before Your Word. I pray that we would delight in You, O Lord, that we would pour our hearts out in adoration. And just as we have worshipped You in song and praise and in the taking of communion, I pray that our worship would continue on now as we seek You in Your Word. So truly, God, You do encourage Your people, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. So I pray that You would encourage the hearts and the minds in this room because we all need it, and some more than others, to be sure Father, but we all, we all want to hear from You. We all want to be encouraged and refreshed in Your presence. So we, we give this time to You, Lord. Be honored, be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So before we get into this, we're going to look at the map. And uh, I didn't go into it last week, so we're going to do a little bit of catch-up. And then... Um, and then I'll kind of move forward into uh, where we're going to go. And, okay. Yeah, there we go. That's the one. Thank you. I started to panic for a second. All right. And also, please bear with this laser pointer. It might blind some of you. And so uh, I'm working on that, okay? So it's pretty bright, okay, I admit. And, but I'll, I'm the one that's get, catching it worse than anybody, so I'm suffering for your sakes here, all right? So as I've already mentioned, Paul would launch out from Antioch right here. That was kind of the headquarters for the missionary church. Down here, this was the, the mother church in, in Israel, Jerusalem. And so Paul, for all of his missionary journeys, would launch out from Antioch. And we know that the, the first journey, he came up here into Lystra, Iconium, Derby, And that's where he was, he was stoned uh, in, in his ministry. He was literally beaten with rocks. And they left him for dead. So that was kind of the end of his first journey, understandably so. And so he kind of makes his way back down up into Antioch that way. And so he launches off into his second journey, which is where we're at right now. And so this time he goes from Antioch. Oddly enough, he goes back up into the place where he had been stoned and he takes Timothy with him. And you'll recall that they, they couldn't go up to Bithynia or Mycenae. They were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to go to either or. So they ended up in Troas. 
And from this point, they actually crossed over from Asia into Macedonia. And so they came up here into Philippi. He had good ministry there. Uh, you'll recall he was arrested. He was beaten. They set him free and pleaded with him to please leave, get out of there. So he did, and they came down to Apollonia, Thessalonica, Berea, and then Paul came down here to Athens, which is where he was last week. So today he's going to travel from Athens down into Corinth. And this map is very significant because of this little strip right here. It's important that you uh, keep that in your mind. Uh, much of what we're going to be talking about, the conditions of Corinth and, and why that place was the way that it was, is due to this right here, this little strip. Um, I'll talk about it more in a minute, but uh, for now I'll just say this. Sailors hated this area right here. They would do everything in their power not to come here, and so they would cross over this little strip. We'll talk more about that in a second. So this is where Paul is going to be ministering for where we're at in the Scriptures right now for a period of a year and a half. And then he moves on from there, but we won't, we won't go any farther today. I'll try to save your eyes. So... All right, well, picking up verse 1 in chapter 18. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome. And he came to them. So because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked. For by occupation they were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. So as I said, Paul left Athens. He made his way down to Corinth. This is in Achaia. And in your notes here, there's just one little quote from MacArthur. You can read along with me, but I'm going to expound a little more upon uh, the background of Corinth. But uh, it says there that the, the leading political and commercial center in Greece, that, that was Corinth. It was located at a strategic point on the Isthmus of Corinth, which connected the Peloponnesian Peninsula with the rest of Greece. Vir Excuse me, sorry about that. Virtually all traffic between northern and southern Greece had to pass through the city. And because Corinth was a, a trade center and a host to all sorts of travelers, it had an unsettled population that was extremely debauched. So as I mentioned, because the people didn't want to sail around, they would actually pass through Corinth. And we'll talk a little bit more about how that, they did that. It's pretty fascinating. But uh, Athens was a place of uh, knowledge. It was a place of learning. It was a place of philosophy and culture. But Corinth was a place of business. It was, it was a place of where money was to be made. And so there was uh, a lot of debauchery that, that went on there. Athens had passed its prime, its zenith. And so at this point, there was probably about 10,000 people in, in the city of Athens that Paul just came out of. But at this point, Corinth had about 200,000 people. So it was very different what Paul was, was entering into here. Now, Corinth was a very famous place already by the time, uh, time that Paul got there. It had already been destroyed about 100 years earlier by Rome. And then uh, Julius Caesar restored Corinth and it came back instantly because of where it was located and, and all the, the trade and commerce and everything. It, it was revitalized right away. And there was about a four and a, half, uh, four and a half mile wide strip of land there that I pointed out on the map earlier. 
And they actually had a track that would go across that strip of land. And so boats, instead of sailing around the peninsula, they would go up to that track and then they would actually roll the boats across that strip to the other side. And if the boat was too big, they would offload all of the merchandise from the boat and then uh, it, take it across and then reload it onto another boat and go from there. And so there were so many people, there was so much going on that passed through this city. And as I said, it was also made very popular uh, because of um, the Isthmian Games. These are like the Olympics. It was second only to the Olympics. And there was a lot of pagan worship that went on in this place. And there were many different deities and pagan gods that they worshipped, but one in particular, um, the, the goddess Aphrodite. And so there was a temple there, and they had a thousand uh, priestess priestesses, whatever, that would, would minister there. And they, um, I won't say any more in case there are children in the room. And so, at any rate, it was a wicked, wicked place. And in fact, there was a term that was developed, and it was Corinthiazomai. And that is to say, you're a Corinthian, or you were uh, Corinthianized if you were a drunk, or sexually immoral, or a wicked person. That was how bad of a reputation this place actually had for that for that reason. And so one, one author actually said that in plays, if someone was playing the part of a Corinthian, they were usually drunk, always. And so that was the reputation that this place had. And when Paul wrote to the Corinthians, this is in your notes here, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 9-11, through 11, Paul says, you know, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, or covetous, or drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. So Paul makes the point, I was there, I ministered in your presence, and it was a very wicked place, and, and that was you. That, that, that was you guys, but you've been washed, you've been cleansed, you've been sanctified, you've been justified. And so Paul even affirms in his writings to them that, that really the reputation that Corinth had was indeed true. But that's why there was such great ministry in that place. You know, God, that's, God is in those kinds of places. You know, I'm encouraged by that. God goes where, where the hurting people are, where the desperate, where the wicked, where the, the needy people are. God is a God that is mighty to save. And Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. He is the, the, uh, the great physician, right? He went where the sick and the hurting were. And so, it seems like when Paul gets to Corinth seems like there's something different about him. He's kind of in a very vulnerable place in his ministry. He seems like he's very fearful. He's, he's pretty weak and he speaks of himself as such. There in your notes, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul is referring to himself and he says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, I didn't come with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the, the testimony of God, for I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness and fear and in much trembling. 
and my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So Paul is recounting to the Corinthians here in 1 Corinthians what it was like for him when he came to them. What what we're looking at in Acts today. He said, you know, when I was with you, I was fearful. I was weak. I had much trembling. I didn't come with persuasive words. And that makes sense to me because Paul's experience up to this point has been very tumultuous everywhere he goes. There's persecution, he's, he's beaten, he's forced out of the town. Everywhere he goes, there's success initially, and then persecution arises. And we tend to talk about Paul like he's such a warrior and a soldier, and indeed he was, but you know what? He was a man. And he was prone to discouragement, prone to fear, prone to depression, and... I, I think that he was experiencing that. Some people said that when he was in Athens, he had a different approach that he took with his preaching. Instead of just preaching Christ, he tried to um, start with general revelation. He, he went to the, the Athenians and he started with the whole thing about the unknown God and he kind of launched out from there and then he quoted some of their prophets, some of their poets, excuse me. And it seemed like there wasn't a lot of uh, fruit that came from that. And so pump, some people have said that, uh, that Paul <clears throat> kind of failed in that instance, if you will. And I, I don't know about all of that. I, I wouldn't be so quick to say that. But they said that, that there wasn't a lot of fruit. And so now when he comes to, to Corinth, he's just beat up. He's beat up. He's discouraged. He's weak. He's fearful. And so what I want us to see today in the text is how God brings Paul encouragement. I want that to be the word that we we receive here. God encourages us when we need it. And God knows when we need encouragement. Sometimes God will allow us to go through some very difficult times, some very dry stretches in life, and we think we can't go any farther. We think we can't take another step. We can't go another day like this. And sometimes God will cause us to walk in those places longer than we would like to. Does He not? But at the end of the day, God knows what we need when we need it. And God encourages us. God brings encouragement. And this is what really stood out to me as I considered this chapter. And I want to point out to you all the times that that God does things and they're very subtle, they're very natural, they're very normal for the most part. And these are things that we experience, I believe, on a very regular basis. So I want to draw our attention to how God indeed encourages us and do we even notice it so often. So first off, here Paul is in this place and he meets Priscilla and Aquila. Now, This is such a blessing to Paul. God brings Paul friends. And Priscilla and Aquila, we'll talk a little bit about them, <clears throat> would go on to be great friends of Paul in future ministry. So what, what we're told here about Priscilla and Aquila is that they fled from Rome. There was some sort of persecution that was happening there against the Jews. And it's kind of fascinating because there was a historian that wrote about this, and he said it was because of someone named Crestus that this whole persecution arose. And so what, what we think he's getting at and he was off with the name was that because the Christians were up there preaching Christ the Jews were getting upset as we've seen them do over and over again and they were starting riots and uh, all this ruckus in the synagogue so the 
So Claudius has said, you know what? All the Jews have to go. You're instigators, you're, you're rioting, and we think it's because of the Jew-on-Christian persecution. So Priscilla and Aquila, they leave Rome, they come down to Corinth, they meet Paul, and as I said, they become close friends and co-workers and co-laborers. And they're going to go with Paul from Corinth to Ephesus. That's going to be Paul's next stop. And they put down roots in Ephesus. So from that point forward, they become a real fixture in Ephesus and the church there. And in fact, they go on to have a church in their house. And they're mentioned in Romans chapter 16, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, and 2 Timothy chapter 4. And they're also mentioned obviously here in Acts. So the point I want to make is, God gives us friends. God gives us friends. God encouraged Paul in a time when he was weak, when he was fearful, when he was hurting, probably lonely. His ministry partners were gone. He had to leave in a hurry and he left Silas and Timothy back in Macedonia. And then God so graciously gives Priscilla and Aquila to Paul, and he, he works with them. They are tent makers by trade, and he was too. What are the odds of that? And so Paul just has a season of life where he's working with these, uh, this couple and no doubt fellowshipping with them. And so I think about that. <clears throat> How often do you think of your friends as gifts from God? Because they are. Well, then I would ask you this. Do you see yourself as a gift from God to other people? And I don't mean that in an arrogant way. I don't mean like, oh, I'm just God's gift to people, right? But seriously, do you think, are, are you that? Are you a blessing to the people around you? Are you an encourager? Do you refresh people that, that God has placed you strategically in their lives? It's not an accident. The people that are surrounding you, the people's lives that you're in, that is, that's God all day. Are you being a blessing to people? Are you receiving encouragement from friends? So often when I pray, I like to pray for very simple things. God, thank You for my, my home. Thank You for running water. Thank You for my friends, my family, my church. So many simple blessings that God gives. Do we stop and thank God for the simple things? And do we thank Him for our friends? Do we recognize them as a gift? Indeed, Priscilla and Aquila, Aquila were, were that to Paul. So Paul was working at this time to support himself financially. I'll just make a quick note of this. From this, a lot of times pastors will say, this is my, my tent-making gig. Because Paul supported himself as a leather worker in this season of his, his ministry, and then he ministered on the side. So earlier on, as I was coming up in ministry, I worked as a welder and then as a machinist, uh, at one point a woodworker, and so I would always refer to that as my tent-making gig. That's what I was doing on the side so that I could support myself and do what I really loved doing, do what God had called me to do. And it's a blessing when you can be supported full-time in your calling, but so often most pastors do have to work or have had to work a, a side job uh, so that they, can, they get to do what they love to do, and that is to minister to God's people. So as was typical for Paul, he was ministering in the synagogues and reasoning with the Jews. And then verse 5. When Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. But when they opposed him and blasphemed, he shook his garments and said to them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. 
From now on I will go to the Gentiles. And he departed from there and entered the house of a certain man named Justice, who was uh, who, one who worshipped God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his household. And many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. Okay, so now... Silas and Timothy finally catch up to Paul. You'll, you'll recall that they were left behind in Berea and then Paul came on down to, to Athens and then now he's in Corinth and they finally catch up. <clears throat> There's no doubt in my mind that he was greatly encouraged by their arrival. And a couple of things happen when they come. One, they bring good news. They bring good news about what was happening back in Thessalonica, back in Macedonia where Paul had left. Paul was concerned about that church. He loved that church. He planted that church. And I'm sure that he agonized over their well-being. So he receives great news. And here in your notes, 1 Thessalonians, I, don't have, I think it's chapter 3, verse 6-8. Six, six through eight. It says, But now that Timothy has come to us from you and brought us good news of your faith and love, and that you always have good remembrance of us, greatly desiring to see us, as we also to see you. Therefore, brethren, in all our affliction and distress, we were comforted concerning you by your faith. For now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. So they brought a word of encouragement to Paul. They said, hey, Paul, things are going great back in Thessalonica. And Paul was prompted to write the letter of 1 Thessalonians to them. And we, we have that in the New Testament. I just read from it. And Paul was greatly encouraged by the arrival of Timothy and Silas and the word of encouragement that they brought. And uh, that's a beautiful thing. And then at this point, we, we also believe that they brought a financial gift to Paul from, um, I believe it was Philippi, still up in the same region in Macedonia. And so at this point, Paul is able to go into full-time ministry. He was working to support himself as a tent maker, and now he receives a financial gift from the Philippians, and he's able to go out into full-time ministry. So he, he receives an encouraging word from Timothy and Silas, and he receives a financial gift from them from the church of Philippi, and he is pumped up. He is ready to go. So I wanted to talk about that. Generosity. Encouragement through generosity. Now, I, I have been blessed over the years by dear brothers and sisters in times when I needed it the most. So often people would spontaneously bring a gift. Maybe it was a, a meal. And this was well before I was a, even a pastor years ago and, and even now. you know. So often people are generous to me and they have no clue just how I needed that in that moment. And I know that was God. I know that in that moment, God met a need that I had. They couldn't have known about it, and they were a conduit of God's blessing and didn't even know it. And so that's my word to, to you guys. When God moves on your heart to be generous, when it passes through your mind to, to bless someone, whether it's financially or, or whether it's a meal, there's been times where someone brought me a meal and it was like, thank you, God, I, I needed that. And they didn't know. Um, I would encourage you go for it because you don't even realize so often when you do, when you are generous, when you meet a need, when you bless somebody, God is using you and they know it. The person receiving it knows it and you don't. And so Paul was blessed. He received this gift from the Philippians. He was pumped up. He was able to, to get into the game. And he did just that. And so that's, 
we kind of get that idea here. Paul was compelled to preach. He was like, all right, I'm going to get after it. Up to this point, he had been ministering in the synagogues. So he starts preaching. He's rejected by the Jews, as is so often the case. He shakes his clothes off, and he's, that's basically Paul saying, I reject your rejection. And at this point, now he's going to go to the, to the Gentiles. So his, his ministry shifts, and he, he moves right next door to the synagogue. I'm sure they loved that. And he moves in with a guy named Gaius Justice. And he's mentioned in Romans 16 and 1 Corinthians. So this was a, a well-known, solid brother. Paul moves across from the synagogue. And then guess who comes to Christ? The leader of the synagogue, Crispus. And so, again, no doubt, Paul was encouraged by that because that guy's high up on the list. You know, he was the leader of the synagogue and, and God provides a place for Paul to live right across from the synagogue. He's like, you know what? Okay, he, he basically rejects them. He dusts his, his clothes off. He says, I'm going to the Gentiles, but I'm going to take your leader with me. And so, Christmas comes to Christ and then Paul baptizes him. And Paul mentions that in 1 Corinthians. And he's talking about a couple. He said, I didn't baptize many. I baptized a couple people. And he names Crispus by name. And so that was obviously a special moment for, for Paul. So God encouraged Paul through, through success there. He, he had a successful uh, situation in ministry. God orchestrated that. And um, Paul was, was blessed. You know, sometimes we just need to stop and thank God when good things happen. And realize, thank you for that, Lord. And, you know, how often do we do that? I wonder, I'm going to kind of flip that around. You know how sometimes you do something um, and something, you know, some, some circumstance happens and it goes bad and you think, if only I wouldn't have gone to that store, this wouldn't have happened. You know, things wouldn't have worked out. I would have never even been in that place. I wouldn't have been in that situation. You know what I'm talking about? Have you ever had something happen? And think, if only what, I wouldn't have gone there or done that, or if only I would have gone there, I wouldn't have been here, and I wouldn't have gotten that argument with this person, or whatever the case may be. I thought to myself, I wonder how many of those we actually do miss in a given given day. How many of those kinds of situations did we actually uh, escape and didn't even know it? We couldn't have ever known it. And so I will oftentimes thank God at the end of the, end of the day. God, thank you for all of the, the situations I could have ended up in today if I would have just gone left instead of right. And I have no clue what it was, but thank you for that. And then conversely, just thanking God for the good things. God brought success to Paul, and Paul was encouraged by that. Now this is the best part right here. This is the best part of the whole chapter. Uh, Paul is directly encouraged by God Himself. Verse 9. Now the Lord spoke to Paul in a night vision. Do not be afraid, but speak. And do not keep silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you to hurt you, for I have many people in this city. And he continued there a year and six months, teaching the Word of God among them. So this also is another reason why we say Paul was clearly distressed here in this place. And probably for many reasons, as I said. The, the beatings he's already endured. The depravity of the city. It was just a terrible place. His righteous soul was undoubtedly vexed by being here. And I'm certain that he was very fearful. He had every reason to believe that, that there would be an uprising and, and that he would be persecuted again. And so God speaks directly to that. And God says, Do not be afraid, Paul. The Lord ministered to Paul in very personal 
in specific ways. And so I have it outlined here. Two negative commands that, that God gives Paul. He says, do not be afraid. Do not be silent. And then there's one positive command. He says, speak. Keep doing what you're doing. Preach the Gospel. And then he gives them three assurances. He says, I am with you. No one will attack you. I have many people in this city. And that is so beautiful to me how, how God does that. I've talked about this over and over. God is a God. He created all things. He has existed from all of eternity past and will always. And He is glorious. He's majestic. He's so much more than our minds could ever fathom. But He is with us. He loves us. He's interested in the details of our, our lives. He is orchestrating things. He is leading us. He is um, encouraging us. And to see Him give this assurance to Paul and to speak these words of affirmation to Paul is such a beautiful thing to me. But the fact that He says, I am with you. I am with you. And we hear that a few times in the New Testament. That is, that is a promise that has been made to us. In Hebrews, it talks about that very thing. For He Himself has said He would never leave us. He would never forsake us. And we have been given that promise. In the Great Commission, He said, Go, and I will be with you even to the end of the age. So our God is with us. And God reminds Paul of that. He says, Paul, don't be afraid. Speak. Don't stop speaking. Don't, don't stop sharing. No one's going to hurt you. I'm with you. And then He reminds him, I have a lot of people in this place. Paul was probably not thinking that, you know. Um, and that's an encouraging word because sometimes you can look around the Bay Area even and think, God, you don't have a lot of people in this place. You know, I came from the Bible Belt where just about everybody claimed to be a Christian. And that had its, a totally different set of issues uh, there. But you come out here and the vast majority of people are very happy to tell you they are not a Christian. And they are very antagonistic against it. And it's, it's different. And so... It's cool to hear God say, you know what, I have people in this place. I have a lot of people in this place. And so He encourages them. So, I guess my question is, are you encouraged in God's Word? Are you encouraged by God's Word? First, you have to be in His Word to be encouraged. But are you? Are you regularly feeding on the Word of God? Are you meeting with the Lord? Are you just reading the Bible, just you and the Lord, and hearing from God and receiving encouragement from Him? Because God spoke to Paul and encouraged him, but God has spoken to us. God has given us His Word so that we could hear from Him regularly. And God does indeed speak to us through His Word. And I can recall times when God has spoken so clearly to me and encouraged me greatly through His Word. And I love it when that happens. And I, I, I want to be in that, that place. Are we encouraging others from God's Word? Again, are we speaking God's Word to other people? And I'm, I'm challenged by this. You know, um, even as a pastor, it's, it's easy for me to slip into a place where it would be easy for me to slip into a place where I'm not regularly hearing from God and feeding on His Word personally. I'm reading the Bible just so I can teach it to you. That's a dangerous place to be. I want to be in a place where I am receiving words from the Lord for myself, first and foremost, right? But then I also want to be encouraging other people with the Word. We get around believers and we're encouraging each other with everything but the Word or discouraging each other with everything but the Word, right? Politics and, and so on and so forth, you name it. There's a lot to be discouraged about out there. But how often do we come together as Christians and just say, hey man, this is what the Lord is showing me in His Word. 
This is something that I learned from the sermon last week. That's true Christian fellowship. And so are we being encouraged by God's Word? Are we encouraging other people? Paul was encouraged. Paul was comforted by the assurance that God gave him. And Paul stayed there for a year and a half. That is the second longest Paul stayed anywhere. He stays in Corinth for three years on his third missionary journey, but here he stays for a year and a half. All right. Well, verse 12, persecution does break out. Now, God just told him, no one's going to attack you. I've got people in this city. Don't be afraid. Keep, keep speaking. So he goes out and does what God told him to do. And then look, verse 12, when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews with one accord rose up against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat, saying, this fellow persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. And I'm sure Paul was thinking, here we go again. You know, this happens every single place I go. And God just told me, don't worry. And then verse 14, And when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or wicked crimes, O Jews, there would be reason why I should bear with you. But if it is a question of words and names in your own law, look to it yourselves, for I do not want to be a judge of such matters. And he drove them out from the judgment seat. Then all the Greeks took Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him before the judgment seat. But Gallio took no notice of these things. I like this guy. You know, this is what all of the leaders up to this point should have done. Every time Paul would be, you know, dragged into the city before the the governor or the judge or, or whoever it was, the people would manipulate them. They would twist the guy's arm. They would say, you know, he's teaching things contrary to, to Caesar. He's saying that, you know, Jesus is a king. And they would back the guy into a corner and then he would let the mob basically have their way with, with people. But this guy didn't do that. As soon as he picked up on what was going on, he saw right through it and he said, you know what, I don't even want to hear this. This has nothing to do with me. I don't care about it. You see to it yourself. And in essence, what he just did was gave Paul license to preach the gospel Throughout Roman, uh, throughout Roman territory. He could have banned it at this point. But he saw this as just an offshoot of Judaism and, said, and Judaism was considered a legal religion to, to practice and preach in Rome. And so <clears throat> I see even this. God just flipped this thing upside down. I'm sure Paul knew what was coming. He, he, this was it. He was going to get beaten and thrown in jail. And he's going to speak and defend himself, and all of a sudden the Gallio just says, you know what, no. And then he turns this thing on its head, and then he basically gives Paul permission to go out and preach the gospel. And so I see encouragement even in that. I'm sure Paul didn't see that coming. And it's so awesome when God does that kind of thing in our lives, right? When we, something we're so worried about, so often we get fearful about certain situations, we agonize and we pray and then God just comes through and we realize we no need to even worry in the first place, right? Especially when God gives us a promise and then we worry and we worry. It's a rational fear, the, the what ifs. We see Abraham do that like crazy in Genesis. God gives him all these promises and then he goes into Egypt and then pretends that his wife is his sister because he's afraid they're going to kill him if they find out that's his wife, right? Most of you probably know that story he had been given promises by God. He had irrational fears. The what-ifs set in. And we do that. And, and God had given Paul a promise here. And then as soon as it looked like it was getting ready to go bad, God intervened and flipped this thing over. And then Paul was set free. And the Greeks were so mad, they took Sosthenes and beat him up. And Gallio just kind of turned his head. He didn't look. Not exactly sure why they did this. 
You know, Crispus was the ruler of the synagogue. He came to Christ, and now we have this guy, Sosthenes. It's possible that the, the Greeks were, um, just had disdain for the Jews, and he was the leader, so they took an opportunity to, to beat him. Or maybe they were mad that, that he didn't get um, the ruling from Gallio that they wanted, so they took it out on him instead. What's fascinating, though, is in Rome, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul greets Sosthenes in the first verse. And so evidently, he went on to become a, a believer. I guess he decided, you know what, this is not worth it. Okay, you guys can have this thing. And he handed it over and he went on to become a, a believer. Pretty cool. Alright, well moving on. We'll move a little more quickly from this point forward. <clears throat> this is kind of the, we're transitioning out of the, the second missionary journey and into the, the third. So, verse 18. Paul still remained a good while. Then he took leave of the brethren and sailed for Syria. And Priscilla and Aquila were with him. And he had his hair cut off at Centria, for he had taken a vow. And he came to Ephesus and left them there, but he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay a longer time with them, he did not consent, but took leave of them, saying, I must by all means keep this coming feast in Jerusalem, but I will return again to you, God willing. And he sailed from Ephesus, and when he had landed at Caesarea and gone up and greeted the church, he went down to Antioch. After he had spent some time there, he departed and went over the region of Galatia and Phrygia in order, strengthening all the disciples. Alright, so now Paul is leaving Corinth. We're told that he takes a vow. He shaves his head. This is most likely referring to something called the vow of the Nazarite. And you find that in number 6. And it's really just a vow of consecration. It is a set period of time where you, you basically fast from certain things and you shave your head and, and all of that. And uh, <clears throat> some people don't know exactly why Paul was doing this. My guess is, if I was going to speculate a little bit, is that he was getting out of the filth of Corinth and he just needed to consecrate himself to the Lord. He's just like, okay, I'm just going to fast. I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to set myself apart for a season of time and just spend this intense time with God and give myself to Him. And so he goes through Centria. He stops briefly in Ephesus. And things seem to be going really well there. And they want Paul to come back uh, to stay. But he says, I can't, but I'll come back, God willing. So he finally makes his way back to Antioch where he concludes his second missionary journey. Then it seems like he turns right around and leaves pretty quickly. And we're told he goes back up through the region of Galatia and Phrygia. And that is where he had been stoned in his first missionary journey. Travel back through there the second time to pick up Timothy. And now he's going back through there a third time on his third missionary journey. He's going back to all the churches that he had planted. And he's strengthening the churches and the disciples in that place. And then verse 24. Now a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the Scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he desired to cross to Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him. And when he arrived, 
He greatly helped those who had believed through grace, for He vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from the Scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. So now we transition here. We meet a new character, Apollos. Paul is out of the scene. We're in Ephesus here with Priscilla and Aquila. And Apollos shows up. And he came all the way down from Alexandria. And we're told that he's a very gifted young man. A very sharp guy. Highly trained. Highly educated. Very knowledgeable in the ways of the Lord. Or he was instructed in the ways of the Lord. But there was something missing. He was, he was accurate in what he was saying, but there was something missing from his, his theology, his understanding of, of God. And this is so beautiful. Ananias, or I keep wanting to say Ananias and Sapphira. Priscilla and Aquila take him aside and they further instruct him. This says a lot to me. One, about Priscilla and Aquila. They were very solid. They were very mature. And they weren't afraid to take this guy and to invest in him, to disciple him. Further, and this is a, a good word for us in our church. You uh, older couples, married couples, you have a lot to offer. You really do. A lot of experience, a lot of wisdom, and a lot of knowledge. And I would encourage you to be looking out for people that you can take under your wing and further instruct them in the ways of the Lord. And this says a lot to me about Apollos. He was a sharp guy, a really gifted, uh, highly trained a zealous man, and he humbled himself, and he, he listened. I mean, that's really impressive to me. And he took their, their guidance, and he received that, and he went on to be even more powerful for God, uh, even more of a force for the Gospel. And so then he went over into Achaia, that is Corinth, and they sent letters of, uh, of commendation with him so that the brothers there would receive him. And we're told that He greatly helped those who believed through grace. And that's, that's very beautiful to me. Uh, he, he received instruction from Priscilla and Aquila, and then He took that and He went over to Corinth, and He picked up where Paul left off, and He encouraged the brothers and sisters in the faith. And again, as I said, He was uh, used mightily by the Lord. And so the story leaves off right there. And we kind of pick up there next week in chapter 19. And so we'll just stop right there. And I just want to kind of close on that note where God encourages us. God encourages us. And He encouraged Paul through friendship, through, uh, through his own personal word, through generosity, through circumstances just falling right into place and lining up with the promises that God gave him. And I would, uh, I would encourage us as we close with this last song, have the worship team come up at this time. Let's just worship the Lord. Let's thank God for the good things that we enjoy. Thank God for the encouragement that, that we receive from Him. And you might be in a, in a tough place right now. And you may need comfort. You may need encouragement. And God delights to do just that. God meets with the people who are downcast, who are uh, heavy-hearted, the hurting and the weak. We're told that we can cast our cares upon the Lord because He cares for us. And so I would encourage us to do that. Let that be our prayer. Let that be our cry. Let's pray. Father, we love You. And it's our heart's desire to, to know You and to know You in a greater way. I pray, Father, that You would that You would bring encouragement. Pray that You would bring healing, God, to the broken heart. 
in this room today. I pray that You would bring peace to those who are suffering with anxiety. pray that You would bring encouragement to, to the depressed, to the lowly. pray, O oh Father, that You would bring victory to the struggling, those who are bound up in sin and transgression, God. pray, Father, that You would set them free. I pray that You would minister, O Lord, by Your Spirit. That You would be glorified, O Healer, O Deliverer. Deliver us, Lord, we pray. We love You in Jesus' name. Amen.